Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by our longtime friend and member, Scotty Miser. Well, good morning, y'all. I also want to start our time together in this chapter of Ephesians with a question. It's a little less fun than pizza and ice cream, so don't get too excited. I want to know if y'all can remember how old you were when you learned about the existence of atoms. (laughs) (laughs) All right, no shame, no shame. How old were you? Do you remember where you were when you learned what an atom was? The building block of matter. Danielle? Eleven. You were 11. Do you remember where you were? That's a good place to learn about atoms. Science class. Danielle, I'm guessing you probably didn't think about atoms the whole rest of the day? Probably not. Probably lasted to the end of science class if that teacher was lucky, right? But here's the thing about that, guys. Atoms did not stop existing the minute that Danielle stopped thinking about them. Thank God, right? (laughs) Atoms did not stop existing when we stopped focusing on them. They continued to be atoms, whether or not we knew they were there doing their thing. They continued to be the building block of matter for us, for things too small to see, and they continued to be the building block of matter all the way up to the heavens. It's atoms all the way down and all the way up. And if you take nothing else from this sermon, I'd really love for you to start thinking of God's love in the same way. God's love does not go away when you stop thinking about it. God's love does not go away when you don't understand it. God's love just is. And it's love all the way down. And it's love all the way up. Amen? It's God's love all the way down and all the way up. It's the building block on which we rest. Julia, I think the title of the sermon... Yeah, I couldn't think of a succinct way to do this, so in the spirit of uh, of Paul's run-on sentences, I've decided to entitle this sermon, Ephesians 3, God's love and power and 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 love ad infinitum. I think Susan actually fixed that slide. Those words were supposed to go off the screen, but we'll forgive for that. So uh, we're studying this letter that Paul is writing from prison to the church in Ephesus. But we know that it's not just intended for Ephesus, right? This is kind of a chain email of letters. Paul is sending this to Ephesus with the idea that Ephesus will sort of scratch their name off and forward it to another church, and they'll pass it along. It's this general theological treatise of sorts. And it follows a pretty, a pretty well-patterned order. Chapter 1, Paul's mainly focusing on large view. He's stressing that God's purpose is to unify all things in heaven 
and on earth, that through grace and love, Christ is bringing all things on heaven and on earth together. Amen? Amen. It's a heck of a way to start a letter. That's just crazy on page one. Chapter two, Paul starts to get a little more specific. And he says, so if this is true, if Christ is bringing all things together all the time, then we have to stop getting so hung up on this Jew versus Gentile thing, you guys. Paul goes from large to frighteningly specific. He says, look, the multi-ethnic nature of the family of God is a non-negotiable. Okay, if we believe that God is bringing all people, all things together, always through eternity past, we cannot draw lines across ethnicity and say, ooh, but except for you. Ooh, but except, mm, uh, I don't know about that one. No, the multi-ethnic nature of the family of God is a non-negotiable. It's an irreducible part of the plan. And as Ian showed us last week, the reason Paul's bringing this up is because we're bad at it. The reason he brings this up is that often this is the thing that people have a problem with. But nevertheless, in chapter 2, Paul stresses the importance of the multi-ethnic nature of the family of God. And in chapter 3, Paul goes even more specific. In chapter 3, Paul is just delighted. Paul is just so happy, so wondrous, in awe, that he gets to see this happening. I'm not kidding you. Most of chapter 3 is Paul delighting in the unique role that he's able to play at this unique part in the church's history. But Paul's excitement gets away from him a little bit, and so his sentences are really hard to understand, because <laughs> Paul is trying to write about everything, everywhere, all at once, often in every sentence. So where do we start? The good news, we can kind of start anywhere. So let's start with this one sentence. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of God's holy people, to grasp how wide and how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That is one sentence, Paul. You turn that in on my desk, I say thee nay. I say see me after class, Paul. That's too many hyphens, that's too many commas, that's too many clauses, Paul. What are we doing? So let's whittle it down. Let's start from the basics and let's just look at what is Paul's most basic subject and most basic verb of this sentence. What's Paul doing? If we reduce it to this, Paul says, I pray that you may have power. Okay, simple enough. Let's diagram that out. This is what Paul wants for you. I pray that you may have power. We're on board, okay? 
Now, he's saying this to the Church of Ephesus, but let's pretend he's saying this to one of us in particular. This was meant to be passed around altogether. Amanda, do you mind if this is about you? Okay, Amanda, Paul is praying that you may have power. We're on board so far? Sweet. Awesome. <laughs> let's zoom out and see what more we can unpack. Amanda, Paul is praying that you may have power to do what? Specific ability, actually. He wants you to have the power to grasp the love of Christ. Okay, so it's not just power in general. Next slide. It's power with a specific purpose. Specifically, you have power to grasp the love of Christ. You with me good? You good? Okay, thank you, Amanda. So, let's zoom out further. That's our basic unit. That is Paul's goal for Amanda. Now, what about the love of Christ? Does Paul want Amanda to understand? Paul is praying that you may have power to grasp what, how wide and high and deep is the love of Christ. Well, that gives us some more dimension to the thing that we're grasping, okay? Now, this thing is clearly, it's complex. It's deep, it's high, it's, it's, it's wide. There's a reason that Paul is praying for our power to understand it, because clearly, it must be kind of hard to understand. But this is what Paul's praying for. Now here's where things get sticky. I pray that you, Amanda, may have power to grasp how wide and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. <laughs> Paul wants you to know this thing that surpasses knowledge. So if we're to diagram that out, just keep this in mind, Amanda, the thing, next slide, the thing that you are grasping, the thing that you're holding in your head, in your knowledge, next slide, it's kind of not going to stay there. It's, you're going to be grasping it, but it also exists outside of your knowledge, so good luck, okay? <laughs> Grasp the thing that exists outside of your knowledge. In the same way, understand atoms. But if you, even if you don't understand atoms, they're not a thing that exists primarily in your thoughts. They exist outside of you in some way. So that's our new unit of measurement. Paul wants you to have the power to grasp the love that has height and depth and to know that love that surpasses the knowledge you have in knowing it. And we're not even done. <laughs> Paul is praying that you what, how is it that you're getting this power, Amanda? I'm glad you asked. Paul is praying that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So apparently the love does not just exist in your thought, which we knew already. The love is the thing that you are being rooted in to understand the love in the first place. It's only by being rooted and established in love that you can even come to grasp or begin to know what love is. Now, I'm not gonna lie to you, Amanda, this next part's gonna be tricky because now your conception of love, next slide, has to also include you being rooted and established in the love <laughs> that you're thinking about. It's, you don't have to break your neck on that one. That's, <laughs> but you're rooted and established in love to understand the love that surpasses knowledge. Love is the thing you're meant to grasp, but love is also the thing that's giving you the power to understand it in the first place. 
Thankfully, Amanda's not doing this alone. In case all you guys thought you were off the hook, Paul is praying that Amanda, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. This is a group project. The heart does not just contain the one figure. This is a group project. This is collaborative. Our conception of love, yes, is rooted and established in the larger love, but that love is not just rooting and establishing us individually. It's rooting and establishing all of us as a community, all of us in this vast multi-ethnic family that goes across place, that goes across time. It's love all the way down. Amen? It is God's love all the way down, holding us together, guiding our learning, guiding the way that we treat one another, and guiding the way that we strive to understand the love itself. Now, here is the one part, the last part that, I, that I've left for the end of the sentence. I pray that Amanda being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What does that mean? What is the fullness of God? I cannot with certainty say. If I would love to be wrong on this, but I looked and I could not find the phrase, the fullness of God. I could not find those words used in that order, in that way, anywhere, but in Ephesians 3. When you look up the, the Greek word for, for fullness, though, you do get this idea, this metaphor of Paul talking about being filled to the measure. Sometimes that word is used to describe a ship, a ship that is full, a, a ship that has every hand on deck, a ship where everyone, everyone is lending a part. I think that might help us somehow, but I don't know. I don't know what Paul means by the fullness of God. Here's what I do know. And Julie, could you bring up the, the last diagram again? Thank you. Whatever Paul thinks the goal is, whatever Paul thinks the fullness of God is, he is so caught up in the joy, in the delight, and in the power of Paul's glorious now, of the particularity of his position in time and space. 
what I mean is this. He's celebrating these universal themes, right? He's going like all the way back to Genesis 1 and before. And he's saying like, hey, yes, this spans all the way over here. And if you look to the future, it's love all the way over there, all the way up, all the way down, all the way back, all the way forward. It's love. And yet here I am, Paul, living in this day. So he's celebrating the universality of love in every direction, but he's also celebrating the particularity. He's celebrating the particularity of his glorious now, the time in God's love that he personally gets to be alive, that he personally gets to bear witness to God's love unfolding and manifesting itself in new and impossible ways. I think a lot of our spiritual history in evangelicalism can get caught up either romanticizing the past or just hedging our bets on the future. Either we wish we were in Bible times or we pray that the world ends tomorrow. Paul's not there. Paul is locked in on his present. He's saying, I'm here now. How lucky am I? Paul met Christ on Damascus, but Paul didn't get to see Jesus' ministry. But he doesn't spend any time on that. He says, can you believe? Can you believe I get to be here now seeing God in this way? What is our glorious now? What is the way that we are seeing God's love unfold in ways that Paul could not have imagined. A lot of times I think when we see things in the world that aren't in the Bible, we despair because we don't recognize it. But what if we turn that despair of unfamiliarity into the joy of discovery? He said, can you believe? Can you believe it? Can you believe it? I got to be here to see God's love unfolding in this particular way. There will never be another this day in 2023. There's something about the particularity of this moment. So what is it that gives you anxiety about the present? Is it the political landscape? of our country? Is it the relationship of countries between themselves? Is it the ways that we are trying to define our identities as individuals? What is it that gives you anxiety? I ask that you hold that and just repeat to yourself, I get to be here. I get to see this. So what is our glorious now? I don't entirely know, but I know one way that our world is quite different from that of Paul's. I know that we've gotten a lot better at looking all the way down and looking all the way up. 
And that's why I asked you about atoms. Uh, Julie, if you're able to escape the slideshow and pull up Safari or Chrome or whatever the browser is that Susan pulled this up in, should be loaded already. So I don't know exactly where I was when I discovered this. But this is a website called The Scale of the Universe. It's actually called The Scale of the Universe 2. They had a first draft. This one's better, just trust me. And I remember rediscovering it in college. And I remember spending a lot of time that I should have been spending on writing my papers scrolling through this with my roommates. So we start on the basic human scale. That's that stick figure, that's you, that's me, that's Amanda, that's the Apostle Paul. That's a giant earthworm. The less we know about that, the better. <laughs> Julie, can you take a smaller? Okay, we're still getting to things that we recognize. A large hailstone, a basketball, a teapot, and we can start to see a hummingbird. Smaller than a hummingbird, we can start to see a shrew, a chicken egg, earthworms that exist at a comfortable size. You can click on any of these as we go down, by the way. That is the wavelength of a microwave. Just a little bit larger than a coffee bean. And a little bit smaller than a penny. I don't think about these things most of the time, but that doesn't stop them from existing. Go deeper. Sunflower seeds, particle of sleet, plain of rice, single ant, duckweed, I don't know what that is. The largest bacteria, yeah, I mean, look at that monster, it's huge! It's larger than a dust mite, or a paramecium, or a human egg. That's actually a, that's actually a picture of me. Uh, uh, yeah, recently fertilized. Go down, width of silk. A droplet of mist, a white blood cell, a cell nucleus, a chloroplast, a mitochondrion, which is what? Mitochondria? The powerhouse. The powerhouse of the cell, baby. We remember science class. All right, let's keep going. We got E. coli, spinach is scary. We got mimivirus. This is the, zoom out to that gray circle, the smallest thing visible to an optical microscope. So this is the thing that like, you couldn't see any of these with your naked eye. We are now going to go beyond things that you could see with your science lab microscope. We're gonna go deeper. Hepatitis B, everyone boo at hepatitis B. Boo, yeah. <coughs> DNA, all right, bit of applause for DNA. It's done a lot of work. Okay, we're going further. A single molecule of glucose. Ooh. <laughs> Atom of cesium. That thing that looks like Mickey Mouse? That's the smallest possible particle of water. We go deeper. We have a carbon atom. Now, we're at the smallest thing visible to an electron microscope. The things that we use to see atoms. But we know there's smaller stuff. We just can't see it. So we're gonna go deeper. 
That's the wavelength of a gamma ray. That's a picometer. That's a hundred femtometers. That is the nucleus of an atom of uranium. We are now going subatomic. We're going beneath the atom because we know even though the Greek for atom means uncuttable, we said, no, ancient Greece, I think we can cut it. I think there's smaller pieces. This is the moment where I lost my mind in college. Stop right there. Lengths shorter than this are not confirmed. This was the point when myself and my sweet mate Tim Hegedus started yelling so that the whole hall could hear us. What do you mean lengths smaller than this are not confirmed? What we mean is that beyond this, we're past the point of things we haven't even measured. Now we're just at things we can't see, we can't measure, but we think they're about this size. We know they exist. We're getting into quarks. And as we zoom in, I'll stop narrating the things. But I want to ask you, do you see the love of God? As we go deeper, we know that we can see the things. But are we better or worse than Paul at seeing the thing uniting all things? Go ahead, skip to the end. These are literally just measurements. We don't even have things to assign them to. Eventually, we get to Planck length. Julie, I promised you I wouldn't talk about Planck length for too long, but I am just going to say it a little bit. There is actually a smallest possible distance in the physical universe. If I have an electron either here or here, and then I divide that by half and I say it's either here or here, and then I divide that by half and I say it's either here or here, here or here, here or here, and I keep getting smaller, there is actually a smallest possible distance that two electrons can be from one another. There is actually the smallest possible traversable distance of ore. Gah! Okay. <laughs> uh, this is exciting for me, but we'll zoom back out. Take us up. <coughs> if you do this too quickly, you might get seasick. So if you have to avert your eyes, that's okay. Past the plank length. Now we're in quarks. And as we near ourselves, as we near the things that we might recognize in a microscope. <coughs> what I want us to realize is that those building blocks are always there. They're always there. And God's love is always there, amen? It is there at the plank length. It is there resting between the smallest possible distances. It is there and it is in Christ that all things hold together. And this is not just a meditation. This is an invitation. Because as soon as we know that Christ's love goes all the way down, we can start building. And we can realize that Christ's love goes all the way up. It goes all the way out. And we can see it in other people. We can see it in the world around us. 
we won't stop drawing the line at ethnicity. We won't, we won't keep drawing lines at sexuality. We won't keep drawing lines across state borders because we'll realize it's so much bigger. The building blocks just keep building out and out and out. Even to Minecraft world. So there goes the love of God. It's not a meditation, it's an invitation. So what does that mean for us this week? Well, I hope, if, I hope at the very least you look up Scale of the Universe 2 on Google and you play around with this, because it's very fun. But where can we start to see the love of God this week? Because we've got to start somewhere. Here's the good news. We're almost there. We gotta get to the end. Yeah, you're right, you're right. We can't go all the way down and not all the way up. A gigaparsec. Oh, there it is. The observable universe. And distances larger than this cannot be confirmed. We don't know. We don't know exactly how big it goes, but we know our building blocks. And if we believe Paul, we know the thing we're holding it together, it's love. This is not pantheism. This is not God is everything. This is panentheism. This is God in everything. Amen? So I want us thinking about the ways this isn't a meditation, but an invitation. Because if we believe that God's love is everywhere, we can start seeing it anywhere. We can start looking anywhere. So, I have a little handout for y'all. I want you guys to pick one thing. One thing that will happen to you more than once this week. And I want you to commit... And I want you to commit to seeing God's love in that thing. Just one thing. It could be flossing your teeth. It could be tying your shoes. Commit to seeing God in one thing every time you see it this week. The good news is, even if you don't see God in it this week, He's still there. God's love is still there. Amen? It doesn't go away when we stop thinking about it. It doesn't go away when we don't understand it. One last caveat, you Christians. I know that the temptation might be, I will see God every time I read my Bible, every time I pray. You can do that. God is certainly there. But that's not challenge mode. I want you guys to find something incredibly mundane. Not even something incredibly difficult or incredibly good or bad, just ordinary. And commit to seeing God there. And the only other request I would make is that if you have access to a pencil, 
Just color in that little diagram I put on there. Because that is a molecule of graphite. That is the shape of the thing that you're writing with. Fill the shape of the thing with the thing itself. And fill the places where God's love already is with more of God's love. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.